The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's a moment that historians absolutely drool over. In the early 1500s, Leonardo da Vinci was chatting with friends in a piazza in Florence. They were discussing Dante's divine comedy. Someone asked Leonardo his opinion about one passage, and Leonardo began stroking his long red beard. He was stumped. Then, none other than Michelangelo entered the piazza head down, striding fast. As usual, Michelangelo was wearing filthy clothes and muttering to himself. But Leonardo nudged his friend and said, let's ask Michelangelo. He can explain the Dante passage. Imagine that. Two titans of the Renaissance about to trade opinions on the divine comedy. What an amazing historical moment. Except (laughs) things did not turn out that way. Michelangelo, around age 30, turned and scowled at the 50-something Leonardo. Michelangelo assumed Leonardo was mocking him. Explain it yourself, he spat. Then he started mocking Leonardo in return. You, who designed a giant horse to cast in bronze and failed, and then abandoned it out of shame. Leonardo flushed red and turned away in sheer embarrassment. Michelangelo then stomped off. And that ended that. Historians have long cherished this moment for the contrast it reveals about the two artists. Michelangelo was feisty. He saw Leonardo as a rival and was prone to quarreling. Meanwhile, Leonardo was chatty and generous of spirit. But as the insult about the horse sculpture shows, Leonardo was also sensitive about his less-than-flattering reputation. A reputation as a bungler, a failure, someone worthy of contempt. What was that about? Well, today I would like to unpack that side of Leonardo. Because there's good evidence, from then and now, that this legendary Renaissance man was brilliant, original, groundbreaking, and wildly overrated. From the Science History Institute, this is Sam Keen and the Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciency history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. Leonardo's fame rests on two things, his art and his science-slash-engineering, although in truth it's hard to separate the two. 
1483, when Leonardo was 31, he applied for a patronage with the Duke of Milan, and his application letter is completely over the top. In it, Leonardo bragged about his expertise with an absurd number of technologies. Bridges, dikes, ships, catapults, cannons, canals, covered wagons, and more. Leonardo also claimed to sing like a nightingale, oh, and uh, was the best artist in all of Europe. Now, the Duke obviously did not believe Leonardo could do all of these things. No one person could. Still, Leonardo's artistic talents were real. So in 1489, the Duke commissioned Leonardo to create a statue of the Duke's father riding a horse. It would stand 26 feet tall and require 70 tons of bronze, the largest metal statue in history until that point. And it quickly became clear that the Duke was right to be skeptical of Leonardo. Leonardo's initial design had the horse rearing on its hind legs, a very dramatic pose. But a pose that, as many people pointed out, would be ridiculously unstable for a 70-ton statue. Leonardo tried to modify his vision by including a fallen soldier at the horse's feet, which he could connect to one of the rearing legs for stability. But he eventually abandoned the rearing horse altogether for a conventional horse statue on all fours. With that plan in mind, Leonardo threw himself into the task, albeit haphazardly. He began drawing horses, plopping down in local stables to sketch them. But he soon got carried away writing a treatise on horse anatomy. He then let his imagination wander more, and he started a second treatise on a new method of casting statues. Daringly, instead of the traditional method of casting different pieces of a statue separately and then melding them together at the end, Leonardo promised to use his engineering genius to cast the entire statue in one go. The plan involved building a huge, finely detailed clay model of the horse. He'd then coat that model in wax, cover it with more clay, and bury the whole thing upside down in sand. He'd then start fires over the sand to melt the wax, which would run out through channels he'd carved in the bottom. Finally, molten bronze would be poured in to replace the wax. And voila, a giant bronze horse. It was innovative stuff. But artists with more experience had their doubts. Designing the channels for the wax to run out would be tricky. They also feared that the tremendous heat of all that molten bronze would crack the clay mold and ruin everything. Leonardo plunged ahead anyway, and in November 1493, he revealed the clay model of the horse at a wedding. People were stunned. The horse was brilliant, beautifully lifelike. The Duke could not wait to see the final thing. And wait he would. Leonardo promised to begin casting around Christmas, but December passed and nothing happened. January, too. Then February slipped by and March. Still no progress. It turned out Leonardo was having trouble with his grandiose plan. Instead of burying the model upside down in sand, he had to turn it on its side for better stability. But that required redesigning all the channels for the wax to drain out of, since they weren't on the bottom now. Outside the studio, he was also getting distracted with his treatise on horse anatomy. Finally, in November 1494, a full year after the model went on display, the Duke had had enough. 
Leonardo was nowhere near ready to begin casting. And unfortunately, one of Italy's endless wars was starting. So the Duke seized the 70 tons of bronze and melted it down to make cannons. The horse statue was dead. As a final insult, when French soldiers later invaded Milan, they had a grand time using the clay model for target practice. Afterward, Leonardo's failed horse statue became a punchline among Italian artists like Michelangelo. Unfortunately, the horse fiasco set a pattern for Leonardo's career. To start off, how many artworks by Leonardo can you name? There's the Mona Lisa, obviously, then the Last Supper, Beyond that, it gets a little bit harder. Arguably, his next most famous work is a notebook sketch, the Vitruvian Man, that dude in a circle spreading his arms and legs. It's certainly an arresting image, but it's hardly a major achievement. And the horse sculpture was not his only noticeable flop. Leonardo's most notorious failure involved a mural in Florence, another doomed blend of artistic ambition and half-baked science. Leonardo moved to Florence in 1500 and quickly dazzled everyone with his wit and talent, not to mention his dandy clothing. This included rose-colored tunics with fur-lined collars. And while he was something of a loner, Leonardo had many warm acquaintances, including none other than Niccolo Machiavelli. In 1503, city leaders asked Leonardo to paint a mural inside their majestic city hall. It would stretch 55 feet wide and would commemorate an important local battle. Given the scale, the subject, and the prestigious location, it seemed destined to be Leonardo's masterpiece. Characteristically, Leonardo threw himself into the project, taking pages and pages of notes about the battle. Just as characteristically, however, he kept getting distracted. He'd take half a page of notes and then start doodling in the margins, doodling bird wings or flying contraptions. He finally abandoned the notes altogether and decided to just improvise the scene. But after six months, Leonardo had not even finished a preliminary sketch of his would-be masterpiece. City leaders started grumbling. But one of them had an idea. Leonardo's friend Machiavelli, (laughs) being Machiavelli, commissioned a second mural in the same room as Leonardo's. And for that second mural, he selected the upstart Michelangelo, Leonardo's biggest rival. As a motivational ploy, it was pure Machiavellian genius. And it did light a fire under Leonardo. For a while. Leonardo finally finished a full-scale drawing of the mural. But before long, he got distracted again. One distraction involved designing the platform he would stand on while he painted. An engineering genius like Leonardo couldn't just stand on a regular scaffold. No, 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 no. His scaffold was newfangled and intricate, with a giant accordion lift to raise him up and down. He also began experimenting with different methods of applying paint. Sadly, his recent masterpiece, The Last Supper, was already suffering damage then, with the paint rapidly flaking off. Leonardo obviously didn't want his new masterpiece to suffer similar damage, so he devised a way to apply paint on a plaster surface that was coated with turpentine, resin, and wax. He tested it with a few dashed-off experiments, then raced forward. Unfortunately, the technique did not work at full scale. The plaster didn't stick to the wall well, and all the paint he applied started dribbling down. 
he had to light fires perilously close to the surface to dry it. By this time, Leonardo's deadline for the mural had long since passed. Then in June 1505, disaster struck. A thunderstorm swept in and water leaked into City Hall. The already soggy plaster turned into a swampy mess. Leonardo realized he would have to start over completely. Except he didn't. He got distracted with still other projects, and despite the prestige of the commission, he soon abandoned his would-be masterpiece entirely. Sadly, this was something of a pattern with Leonardo. Over his 40-year career, guess how many paintings he finished? Fifteen. Fifteen in 40 years. Scores and scores of paintings he just abandoned halfway through. Now, in relaying stories like this, I don't mean to insult Leonardo's talents. He was one of the most talented artists ever. He was not lazy, either. He worked long and hard hours, and he constantly had a dozen different projects going. But time after time after time, he abandoned projects before completion. So what was going on? In short, Leonardo's problem was temperamental, even psychological. He lacked what the Germans call Zitzfleisch. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up? and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture. No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in True Accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Zitzfleisch means sitting flesh. It's a slang term for the buttocks. But it also means sitting your buttocks down to do some work. It's what Mark Twain meant when he defined writing as the application of the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair. But that wisdom applies to other endeavors as well. Sometimes you just have to sit down and focus. Consider Michelangelo. He was a moody ass, but man, could he focus. People, in fact, avoided him because when he was working, he refused to stop and wash his clothes or even bathe himself. He was concentrating too hard. Leonardo was the opposite. He could not focus. He'd sit down to work and suddenly get distracted with some triviality, some oddball thought. 
His notebooks are crammed with half-baked ideas scribbled into the margins. Thoughts on nightingale tongues, on motorized lions, on sneezing, all of which is quite charming, I admit. But his flitting, magpie mind prevented him from zitzing his flesh down and finishing anything. Time after time, Leonardo either drew up grandiose plans without thinking them through, or simply got distracted and couldn't finish what he started. And while Leonardo's artistic output simply fell short of his promise, in technical and scientific fields, he was kind of a flop. Scientifically, Leonardo dabbled in botany, geology, optics, ballistics, linguistics, and physics, but he made no deep marks in any of them. Engineering-wise, he sketched out plans to build automobiles, looms, diving suits, submarines, parachutes, and helicopters. He filled at least 7,000 notebook pages with such ideas. But guess how many of those inventions he actually built? Zero. They were mostly just fleeting thoughts, and in some cases not even very good thoughts. Take his flying contraptions. Leonardo returned to such devices over and over. He sketched out strap-on wings and helicopters powered by treadmills. They are very powerful images. That age-old dream of flight. Who would not be captivated? But every one of these machines was laughably impractical. He seemed not to grasp the basic truth that, compared to birds, human beings have far fewer muscles in proportion to our body size. We can't generate nearly enough power to lift our bodies off the ground. Other inventions show the same basic shortcomings. He simply didn't grasp the underlying science. Now, I realize I am being a bit of a Scrooge here. I'm being unduly harsh on Leonardo's art and his science. The few paintings he did complete are unquestioned masterpieces. And he made real contributions to a couple of areas of science, like anatomy. Plus, maybe you could argue that his notebook sketches of flying machines and other marvels acted as spurs to other people's imaginations. Much like science fiction, perhaps the drawings awakened people to new possibilities, which is important. Except Leonardo never published his notebooks, so they could not have inspired anyone. Instead, he hoarded his ideas like a dragon hoarding gold and refused to show his notebooks to anyone. The vast majority of his work never saw the light of print until the 1880s, by which point most of his ideas were hopelessly outdated. In the end, I go back and forth on Leonardo. Sometimes I feel generous and say that Leonardo was deep and philosophical. Maybe he considered process more important than the final product. Sometimes, though, I feel less generous and peg him as a sort of court jester of science. Full of wit, but not someone to take all that seriously. Most of the time, I just sigh over what might have been if he had just applied himself a little. Now, Leonardo is not alone in science history for lacking Zitzfleisch. In next week's episode, I'll examine Robert Oppenheimer, a Leonardo-like figure who won fame on the Manhattan Project. But Oppenheimer never fulfilled his immense promise as a scientist. There was also something of Michelangelo in Oppenheimer. He definitely had a nasty side, and even once tried to murder one of his teachers. It's a wild story. So tune in next week. Regardless of how I feel about Leonardo on a given day, he fell well short of his promise. And I think his life illustrates an important but overlooked point about science, that it's a public endeavor.
Most people think about science in terms of discoveries. Galileo discovered X, Marie Curie discovered Y, and so on. But the real power of science is not smart individuals. It's the smart system. Science is a process above all, a way of checking assumptions. Even really smart people have biases and blind spots. Science overcomes those blind spots by setting up strict rules for testing ideas. Specifically, whenever someone makes a scientific claim, the wider community has to poke and prod and scrutinize that idea. And only after the community weighs in does something count as a discovery. In some sense, then, a private discovery doesn't count as science at all. And maybe that was Leonardo's biggest shortcoming. Unlike most later scientists, Leonardo hoarded his ideas and never opened them to criticism. And because of his scattered mind and refusal to publish, Leonardo had zero impact on the history of science and technology. It's trendy nowadays to talk about creativity and achievement in terms of range. Explore, roam, jump from passion to passion, develop your range. And no one in history had more range than Leonardo. What a mind. And yet, there's something to be said for grit as well, for focus, for single-mindedness, for applying the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair and seeing a painting or two all the way through. This is the Disappearing Spoon podcast, brought to you by the Science History Institute. Find out more about their library, museum, and multimedia magazine at sciencehistory.org. Make sure you check out the Science History Institute's other awesome podcast, Distillations. You can find their in-depth narrative stories and interviews about everything from space junk to sex, drugs, and migraines anywhere you get your podcast and on their website distillations.org. You can find more incredible stories from my books at samkeen.com. You can also book me as a speaker at your school or event. If you like this podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash disappearing spoon. It costs as little as seven cents per day. You can also get bonus episodes and signed books. Please spread the word to others as well and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or other places. This episode was written by me, Sam Keen. It was mixed by Jonathan Pfeffer and produced by Mariel Carr, Rigoberto Hernandez, and Padmini Raghunath. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.